gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! This episode presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. New Year's Eve edition of the Can't Wait podcast. New Year starts with an old nemesis for the Jets. The Jets face Tom Brady one last time, probably. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Thanks for checking us out. Give us a five-star review. Uh, if you're listening on Apple, by the way, reviews coming to Spotify soon too. So keep an eye out for that. Um, you can still sign up for The Athletic for $24 for a year. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. A lot to get to. We're going to talk about Tom Brady and how he has tormented the Jets over the years. Injury slash COVID updates, New Year's resolutions, um, and your questions. We're trying something new. We're going to see how this goes. The uh, link is in the description, but we're basically going to have people come on, ask your questions with Connor. We're going to see how that goes. Uh, could be amazing. Could be something we do a lot <laughs> going forward. Could be a complete dumpster fire. Uh, but that's why we do this live, right? To just see how it goes. Right, Connor? That's uh, that's how I think it's going to go. I had to I had to make sure I had the right link originally because I, I when I tweeted this out, I guess I grabbed the wrong one at first. So it was just giving our faces, but now I've got the whole thing where they come in here and it's we're we're all uh, it's all going to be good and fun and dandy. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this goes, and hopefully, like I said, Marissa is going to be judge, jury, judge, juror, and executioner. So if anyone kind of starts getting off the rails, they're going to be kicked out of here real quick and blocked and all that stuff. So but we're going to see. I mean, I don't know. I feel like this might be a little bit dangerous because, like I said, from for my own mental health is when I've taken. Uh, Wednesday will be two weeks since I last looked at my mentions, with the exception of last night when I only looked at a tweet about uh, Spider-Man because I saw that movie a second time. I have not looked at my mentions once, and I've felt myself be a significantly happier person. So obviously, what better way than to go from not looking at mentions to taking live calls on the podcast, right? Like, that's quite the nice little pivot. So I'm curious to see how this is going to go. But you know, like I said, one of the things that I've loved about this job more than anything else for for the vast majority of until like a week ago was fan interaction. And I love getting to know fans. I love having them come in and ask questions. Uh, at the end of the day, like we don't really um, we don't really like, I mean, I'll be honest, like, well, I don't have a job if people don't care about the Jets. So, I mean, they're, they're a very big, important part of this. And to now take them from the podcast that we started two years ago when we would have like 200, 300 people total downloading this to now when we have. 5, 10, 15,000, sometimes 20,000 downloads per episode, three, four, 500 live listeners at different times when there's something going on with the Jets and to bring them in and now be able to have them be involved in this show in some way, shape or form. I think it's going to be kind of cool and, and maybe add it to another dimension. And and uh, it could be a good time. Yeah. Until we get, you know, obviously like the people, they got to start getting booted, which obviously, you know, the more people you have, the crazier it gets. But I'm excited for this. And, you know, hopefully this ramps up the uh the live listenership as we uh, we move forward. But I like it. I think it's fun. And of yeah, course, I like this so. isn't any more pressure on Marissa for me to be like, hey, I, this is like this is every time we have to do these little reviews, like and we'll get to football in a second. But every time we have to do like our little uh, athletic sends out, like we have to review the people we work with. So like, obviously, I get my review from my editor, but then I and Marissa writes reviews on me, which I've never seen once, by the way. So you can literally write whatever you want in that comment, Marissa, because I've never I and I'm not saying that from like and I ignore them. I've never had them handed to me. Like, I've never seen what you write about me. But uh, among the things, aside from my editor reviewing me and me reviewing my editors, I have to then review, like, Tim and Marissa. And one of the things that I always put in Marissa's reviews all the time is that I come out here 
at least I would say five to six to seven times a year with some ridiculous idea that sometimes is small and sometimes is like, let's have a live podcast and take live callers. And this is like grown and grown and grown and grown and grown from the YouTube channel. And it always makes Marissa's life harder, but she always comes through and files through. And here we are. We're going to start taking live calls on the show. So kudos so and to Marissa. We actually have two listeners that are already queued in. So I'm not sure if Connor, you want to go on a rant first or you want to uh, get one. I have of nothing these, to uh... rant about this time though. I can rant about yeah, Spider-Man, we... but there's no Jets related rant to go to. Why don't we have the official first guess and then we'll get back to the Jets a little bit. We'll talk. Oh, about here we go. Ready. An honorary. Should we just, uh, just so people know though, that? there there's nuts and bolts of this. Um, t- the way StreamYard works, our account, 10 people. I think it's 10 people are allowed in at a time. Um, in the waiting room, at th- we count towards room. that. So that's three. So if you can't get through on the link, it's because there's already too many people. All right, go ahead, Marissa. Okay, so our first guest is going to be Sam. And uh, he says he watches the podcast every week. And he's got a question about the draft. So let's add Sam here. Hey, Sam, can you hear us? Yo, Connor. There we go. What's <laughs> up, dude? How are you? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, hey, I got yep, you. We, we got hear you. you. What's up, man? All right, first of all, Connor, I tweet at you so much. I love you. You're the GOAT. Great first call. Great first call. What's up? I got a question about the draft. Um, Sorry, I'm like anxious. What do you think we're going with the Seahawks pick? Like, would you be mad if we pulled like a, a Raiders and went with a wide receiver? No, I don't. I think here's my thing is that I, I think that it, a lot of it depends on where that Seattle pick falls. So, you can go any number of directions. I like the idea of going. That's the thing, man. So if they were if they were to lose to the Jaguars, that first pick's locked up. It's going to be number one or it's going to be number two, and they're going to take either Hutchinson or Thibodeau. Like, that was going to be the pass rush of the pick. But now, literally, like, now with him, with them out of the mix and this pick going, the Jets' own pick can be three, it can be four. It's probably not going to be five because I don't think they're winning out. Um, and then where that Seattle pick can fall, which is right now, I think is six, but it could go down to seven, eight, nine. I mean, it all depends on where that, yeah, it's wherever this thing goes. You now literally have basically a Pandora's box that you've opened because Douglas can go in any number of directions. I love Joe. Yeah, seriously, man. Like he can go. He's so good at the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, well, in 2021, he you was good. You say it every time we draft. Yeah, like, when we drafted Elijah and Michael Carter, sorry for interrupting you, but no, you're you good. were saying that when we drafted them, like. Yeah, Elijah yeah. was gonna be good. Like he shouldn't have fell. The Packers should have grabbed him with their first round pick. Like, yeah, so many teams should have. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, I went, they were I, they were stunned there too. Mm-hmm. I went to three games this year. I went to the oh, Titans sorry. game, the Bengals game. Oh, you're the, the good luck. Jaguars. Jaguars. Game. We won all three. Wow, you got a better win I percentage know. than me. You got a better win percentage than me. But back to your question, I mean, I, might, I think I might it's... have to get season tickets. Yeah, yeah, you'll, yeah. You're you're the key to me going and covering a Super Bowl. I like that. Um, no, but I think like honestly, man, like it's it's you can make the argument that they need a safety, right? So Hamilton's probably going to be in mix. You can make the argument that they need a corner, so Stingley's going to be in the mix. You can make an argument that they could use a pass rusher. So you can put Neil and any of those guys in the mix. Uh, maybe there's another pass rusher that comes up that with a good off season, good pro day, good combine elevates his stock. It's going to considered the next best yeah, option. Yeah, someone like that. Like maybe there's one of those guys no that comes one out of nowhere and the Jets Parsons. go and grabbing him. What was that? Sorry. Exactly. No one knew about Micah Parsons this time. Exactly. Last year. Yeah, and now he blows up, and you got to give no Dan Quinn credit as well for. I mean, he's obviously had it had exactly. a, a, a big part in that 
um, in his development. But honestly, yeah, receiver's the X factor. I think that that a lot of people need. I mean, the Jets are very well aware that they need a number one receiver. They know they want an outside guy. Which they one? know they want an X to pair with. That's the thing is that you got the two kids from Ohio State. You've got obviously the kid from Alabama, Williams, That's but. You got to see if one of those guys is number one because the earth, again, we're still in the middle of the season. So I haven't started at too, too much of the draft research in terms yeah, of no. calling the people that I know that give me like the background information. But when I checked in with them earlier, from what I understood was that there was not a Jamar Chase. There was not a Devonta Smith in this year's class that you had the best receivers in this class. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those two receivers were number one, true, bona fide, number no one. doubt, number one guys. However, last I talked to those guys was like a month ago. So a lot of things can change. A lot of things can evolve. A lot of these kids are like young. So, I mean, they're still developing. Oh, yeah, their nah. bodies are still growing so they can change. So maybe maybe Williams at the end of this thing comes out. He has a good playoff run and he's considered a bona fide, no doubt, number one. And then suddenly we're talking about him in the same light as Chase or Smith. But I think with that Seattle pick, there's going to be a lot of things in, the, in up in the air and, and receiver is certainly not going to be ruled out. But it's not just receiver that's in the mix and it's not just that Seattle pick. The Jets' own selection that's going to be three or four is just as much out there. I mean, I could see literally everything from safety corner to receiver to center to offensive lineman. I mean, there's the benefit of having a lot of holes on a team is you can go anywhere with the draft picks. All right. Sam, you killed hey, Sam. it with our first question. <laughs> I know you're ready for this Quentin Williams jump. He's coming. It's yep. coming. Trust me. It's coming. I believe it. I believe it. I can see it. All right, Sam, thanks so much for being our first caller, man. All no right. problem, Tim. Thanks, Marissa. Bye. Thanks, Sam. That was cool. All it right, worked. We'll get... Yeah. There we go. We survived. <laughs> we did. They're going to think that Shout guy was staged Sam. with Great the whole, like, question. yeah. Yes. No, I'm glad, Sam. Uh, real person. It was good. We didn't have to, like, fake the first person. Yeah, I didn't have to text up, one so. of my cousins and be like, hey, I have no one in here. Can you hop on yeah. and pretend to ask a Jets question? Sam was ready to go. Great. Shout out to Sam. We'll take some more. All right. I know there's the uh, there's some other people um, in there, too. So we'll try to get to people throughout the show, um, get a couple more on as we go. But let's get back to the rundown a little bit. And Connor, I said it off the top. Tom Brady coming to town one more time. It's been just over 20 years since Brady first beat the Jets back in December of 2001. He's now 44. Barring a Super Bowl clash, the Jets wouldn't face him again. Until the 2025 season seems like he'll probably be retired by then. Although at this, who knows? Who knows? But all time 30 and eight against the Jets, 61 touchdowns, 16 picks, 9,160 yards. The only team Brady's beat more than the Jets or the Bills. Um, it's it's been a nightmare facing this guy, Connor, and it's one last time, and he rolls in with the Super Bowl defending champion Buccaneers. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this is going to be one so much about reliving and rehashing the number of times that Tom Brady has tortured this fan base. I don't think this is going to be about remembering or, or, or going back to his, what, basically two decades of just dominance in the AFC East, where it was just day after day, week after week, year after year, just whenever you saw those two games in the schedule, aside from maybe that little bit of run there with the, the sporadic uh, victory here or there it was like, okay, where there's two losses, you know what I mean? Or constantly trying to chase up to Tom Brady. I think this is a time with him going to Tampa Bay, clearly the back nine of his career, clearly the taillight of his career is, is just kind of looking at this one and more appreciating what this guy has done. I mean, if you're a Jet fan, I think this is the game where if you've got season tickets, if, if you just want to go to a game, if you've got nothing to do this Sunday, take your son, take your daughter, take your brother, take your, 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 si your sister. I mean, I, just take somebody to MetLife Stadium because 
it might be the last opportunity for you to in-person witness greatness. You know what I mean? Like I, I was talking to Brie about this going in because we, we saw some family and stuff for Christmas and Christmas Eve. And she was saying like, oh, is this this isn't the first time you've seen Tom Brady? I was like, no, but it's it's probably going to be the last time. And, and you kind of just want to appreciate it because in a way, this is like the living legend. And in a way, this is the the walking greatest of all time. Right. I mean, you can make the argument that there have been better throwers in the NFL. You know, John Elway probably had a better arm. Aaron Rodgers definitely has a better arm. Same with Pat Mahomes. But when you talk about a guy that has just been doing it for an unheard of amount of time, a guy who has won an, an unheard of amount of times, just appreciate his brilliance. And this is kind of your last time to do that in person because, look, there's going to be a day when you have kids or you have grandkids or you have other people come up to you and say, like, and they're, they're reading about Tom Brady in books and they're seeing NFL films productions about Tom Brady. And they're going to come to you and say, like, did you ever watch Tom Brady play? Like, what do you remember about Tom Brady? And you could say, yeah, actually, I saw his last game at MetLife Stadium. So this is one. I may say no ticket pitch, but this is one of those things where, like, you know, it's it's not about, oh, beat Tom Brady, because I don't think there's too much that can happen to make that happen. You know, the Buccaneers are among the more talented teams in the NFL. You know, they, they've got a phenomenal coaching staff. They've got phenomenal offensive players. They've got a great offensive line, great playmakers, obviously the unbelievable quarterback, a great defense. I mean, they are built and primed for another Super Bowl run, and the Jets are not. So you're not going to go into this and like, oh, kill Tom Brady, beat Tom Brady. But this is one where you kind of just go in, sit down in your seat, grab a beer, and just sit back and be like, this is the – you're basically watching history. I mean, you were watching one of the best to ever do this in person, in action, live, for maybe the last time. And, and I know there's obviously going to be some bad memories for between Jet fans and the Patriots and Jet fans and Brady, but – you also just kind of got to appreciate what this guy has accomplished. And I think that's probably one of the last opportunities to do it here. And, and you know, obviously we say like the next time he'd be here, what you said was 2025. I think that's like right. That. I think it's four years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would be like, uh, well, that's what he wouldn't. I would actually be. And it wouldn't even years. be here. I think yeah. It would be, be in, in Tampa. Tampa. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I. You guys I, are all I talking Tom. as if he doesn't like retire as a Patriot and play one more year. Yeah, back right. in New yeah. England. So we don't yeah. even, you know, like, I think let's not fully get ahead of ourselves. I, I, as much as <laughs> as much as there was hugs with Bob Kraft and all that when he went back to New England this year, he'll do the last. He'll I do think the, the idea of him playing, he playing for that he's not team pulling a Cam Newton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's pulling Cam Newton, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, it, uh, this is one where I'm actually looking forward to it because a lot of the times when I've covered Brady, like when you cover the Jets and you covered Brady with the Patriots, it, you you took it for granted because it was just like you saw Brady twice a year every single year and you just watched him go. I mean, the whole coming out of uh, Gillette Stadium and doing the whole sprint down the field and then flexing and screaming into the crowd. Like, you see that for the first time, but when you see it six times, it's like, okay, like, that's what Tom Brady does. But there will be a time when, like, I have kids or I have grandkids, and they're like, man, what was it like to watch Tom Brady play? And I'll be able to call up and be like, yeah, you know, not only that, I saw his last game at MetLife Stadium. I saw this, and you saw that. You watched him win Super Bowls. And I think what makes this guy so impressive is just how surgical he is. And I, I've gotten in an argument with one of my best friends about this who's like, you know, he's not the greatest quarterback of all time uh, because, you know, he's had great defenses and he's had great coaching staffs, and that's why he's won Super Bowls. The greatest quarterback of all time is Aaron Rodgers, right? Of like our of our lifetime. Like not – you can't go into John Elway, Joe Montana. We weren't alive for them. So he's like, you know, the greatest quarterback is, is Aaron Rodgers. It's Aaron Rodgers. I was like, you know, that's – yeah, if you want to say Aaron Rodgers is a more talented thrower of the football than Tom Brady, you're right. Because Aaron Rodgers can do things physically that Tom Brady just cannot do, both with his legs, with his arms, with his running around, throwing down. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a more gifted passer. But when you look at just how surgical and how easy Brady makes it look at times, even when it's just the check down, even when it's just the little give up plays, the way that he runs an offense and has run an offense 
for 20-something years. Like, Tom Brady's first game was what? In 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 uh, 2000 or something like that? Right? 2000. Wasn't his, well, 2001 yeah. was when he came you know, in. Bledsoe, Bledsoe got injured. Mel Lewis hit him. And he had Brady. Got you. And then his, his, his game was the year before because wasn't that his second season? Right? Was, yeah, uh, that, was mistaken, like, that was his second yep. season. Yep. Like, Zach Wilson was born in 1999. So, Zach <laughs> Wilson was born one year before Tom Brady's rookie year. Like, like, Zach Wilson was one year old when Tom Brady was getting drafted in the NFL, and now they're going to face each other. I mean, it's remarkable what this guy has been able to do from a health perspective. It's been remarkable what this guy has been able to do from a talent perspective. It's been remarkable to watch him grow and evolve. And at this point, like I said, man, there's no point in, like, saying, oh, screw Tom Brady, hate Tom Brady, beat Tom Brady. This is one where you take your kid to the game and you just watch uh, basically uh, a living legend for potentially the last time in person. Yeah, and just appreciate it for sure. Uh, so to face this very talented Bucks team and uh, and Tom Brady and all of that, the Jets will be a little closer to healthy than they were uh, a week ago. Robert Sala returning this week, so they'll have their head coach on the sideline. Um, but other than that, Connor, just update us on the, the health slash COVID status here. Um, I think the two big guys you'd love to see out there for this game, especially Elijah Moore and Crowder. Yeah, so Crowder right now is just dealing it it we're gonna see. I mean, you have to watch the injury report. Sal is gonna talk to us. It's 924 right now when we're recording this show. Sal is gonna talk at 1050. He'll provide an update there. Uh Crowder's dealing with that soft tissue issue. He's non-COVID related. And with Elijah Moore, he's dealing with COVID stuff and a soft tissue issue, or with his uh the injury that he had suffered a couple weeks ago. So we're gonna see on those two guys. I mean, I, I the thing with Sal is that he's very um optimistic when he speaks and he's very optimistic when he talks and it's always like the sunshine and roses so it's why you know he's still talking about the chance of Makai Becton returning in week 18 right against the Bills and potentially starting when it's like dude the guy's not even practicing yet he's not even on the practice field so the odds and the chances that this guy's actually going to play are slim to none I mean it like eventually finally he said it's going to take a miracle for him to play which is when it's like okay we're not going to see Makai Becton again this year he spoke glowingly about what he said. I think he said on Monday it was like a 50-50 chance for more and the Jamison Crowder, you know, they were hoping to get him to a place where he could play. But at the end of the day, man, it's it's going to – I've learned when it comes to the injury report in Salah is that, you know, he's not he's not a liar. Like I've had coaches like literally lie to your face. I don't think he's a liar in any way, shape, or form. I think that Salah is just a guy that like really genuinely does glass half full – constantly focus on the positive, constantly want to try to find a way to believe that this is going to happen and will it into existence. I mean, the guy still had symptoms all of last week and was somehow convincing himself that he was going to take a, a negative test Saturday and a negative test Sunday morning and be on the field with his team. I mean, he was not ruling out hope despite everyone being like, dude, he's not playing like, like or he's not coaching. You know what I mean? So we're just going to have to wait, unfortunately, until uh, 1050 today to hear what Salah says. But if you see that injury report and, and, uh, Crowder still a DNP and and uh, Elijah Moore still hasn't been cleared and he's still a DNP and stuff like that. That's when it's going to be like okay, those guys are probably not out there because remember with Crow with Moore, it's not only that he was just on the COVID list, so you could just activate him and put him out there. He's also missed a chunk of time with the injury that he had when he was placed on the short term IR. So I think both of those guys are probably back for Week 18, but I think this week might be pushing it a little bit. But the big return, obviously, is going to be Vera Tucker, who got activated off the COVID list. He's going to be out there and starting, and that's a big boost for the offensive line because I think the Jets survived last week against the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think the Jets are going to survive this week if they don't have their full complement of uh, offensive linemen out there with them. 
Yeah, the Bucks seven sacks last week against Carolina. They hit the quarterback 11 times. Uh, Marissa, do we have some people waiting to talk? Yeah, we got lots of people. This is pretty cool. Okay, nice. Brandon was actually the first one to pop in um, before Sam before, but I wasn't sure that he was still there. So, But he is, and he has a question about Berrios. So, Brandon, you want to ask Connor your question? Hey, how's it going? I just want to say uh, thanks for having me on. And um, I just want to congratulate everyone on like their life updates for the past couple of months. There we go. <laughs> Somebody likes the life yeah. updates. I appreciate Wow, thank it, you, Brandon. That's really nice. Yeah, of course. Just wait till yeah, hey, so, you're gonna get um, hate my, mail by the way now in this YouTube comment section when you go and read it. Everyone's gonna be like, "No, Brandon, no personal stories." Talk no. about the Jets. Well, now, yeah. I know I'm a fan because now I'm getting targeted ads over Connor's um Dino Polo on my Facebook. <laughs> yes, yes, there we go. Yes, love it, love it. So my question was, well, actually, it's kind of two questions about the wide receiver yeah. uh, position. The first was, since Barrios is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, do you see us retaining him? or And if you do, how much do you think his contract would be around? Yeah, so I don't think it's going to be anything wild or crazy with Barrios and that that contract. I don't think it's going to be insane. I mean, when you look at his numbers, the guy, yeah, look, he's a he's a Jet. He's becoming a Jet fan favorite, right? And I know that he's a, a Mike LaFleur, Robert Sala fan favorite, and I know that he's you know, a, a guy that, like, obviously the coaching staff loves, general manager loves. But, I mean, this year, he's 15 games. It's 15, it's 38 catches, 366 yards. He had 37 for 394 last year. He's a serviceable slot receiver. He's a very reliable punt returner. And he's obviously shown this year that he can be a really good kick returner. Um, however, when it comes to, like, the money, it's not like this guy's going to get seven, eight, nine, ten million million, $10 a year. I mean, I think the Jets probably would be able to return this guy for some kind of contract, maybe paying him – $4 million a year, something like that. And I don't think there's going to be too, again, Braxton's going to want, obviously he's going to want a paycheck, but he's also going to want to stay somewhere where he he's going to have a home and he's going to want to stay somewhere that knows how to use him. And he's going to want to stay somewhere where he's in a familiar offense with a familiar scheme and a familiar coaching staff. And I think that's going to be the Jets. And ultimately, I think the Jets are going to get something done. You know, a lot of what Joe Douglas is doing is making up for past mistakes, right? Where he doesn't want to do the same things that the last regime does. And obviously that meant overspending in free agency on bad free agents. That meant not retaining some people that you should retain. And that also meant uh, making some successful draft picks. And when you think about the Braxton Berrios situation, I think you can compare it to Andre Roberts, right? The Jets had Andre Roberts, an all-pro punt and kick returner on their team, a game-changing kick and punt returner, a guy who was able to break punts, a guy who was able to break kicks, a guy who was able to fill in as a serviceable but not great receiver when other guys went down. Mike McCagna made the decision to let Andre Roberts go because he didn't like that he was on the plus side of 30. Andre Roberts went elsewhere and has still continued to have immense success throughout the NFL. It was a mistake to let him go, and the Jets have spent all of the time since letting since letting um, Andre Roberts go trying to find a replacement for Andre Roberts. They finally found it in Braxton Berrios, a good punt returner, a very good kick returner, as you've seen, leading the league, should be a Pro Bowl returner, honestly, and a serviceable slot receiver. Once the Jets let Jamison Crowder go, because he's a guy who's not going to be back, they're going to have a role there as that slot receiver, somebody who they're going to want to fill in. And I think he has so much value where even if the Jets go and get, say they draft Williams in the first round, and they now have their top three receivers of Williams, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore, you still want to have depth behind him. And that depth is going to be in the place of if they bring back Keeling Cole. Denzel Mims, obviously, still on the rookie contract. They'll still look to draft someone in the fourth round or so as another receiver. They'll probably try to sign another veteran. And then you have Braxton Berrios in the mix there who can serve as that backup slot receiver to Elijah Moore, kick returner, punt returner. So I don't think this is like a 
priority to re-sign him per se, like it was with John Franklin Myers, where the Jets basically wanted to pay him now because they knew if they did not pay him now, he was going to be worth significantly more money down the road. I think this is one where they can wait potentially a little bit to sign Braxton and then still get him on basically the same, you know, three, four, maybe five, if he really has a killer end, maybe you have to pay him $6 million a year, but it's not going to be a lot of guaranteed money. It's probably still going to be a three or four year deal and with the value that he brings and the type of guy he is in the locker room and the message and, and, and type of example that he sets on the field. He's a guy you want, and, and I would expect wholeheartedly that the uh, the Jets end up bringing this guy back. All right, we know other people are, are waiting to get a question, and we'll try to get to some more as well. Can we take a quick break first, though, Marissa? All right, welcome back. Marissa, let's do one more question here. Uh, we maybe have some others later in the show, too, but let's get to one more now. Okay, we have a question from Cappy77. I'm giving him a heads up here that we are going to throw him on the screen. Um, and this question is regarding Ashton Davis and Eccles. So here we go. Hey, guys. Um, first of all, thank you so much for all the content uh, throughout the year. It really is uh, great to have uh, Jet content all year. Um, my question is, is really about the secondary. Um, if you look at the pro football focus rankings, and I know they're not everything, uh, yeah. they rank Ashton Davis um, really highly in coverage. They're, he's actually like one of the top 15 safeties, amazingly, with uh, at least 50% of the snaps. Um, but then if you look at Michael Carter, the second, you look at Eccles, they rank really low. And if you talk to most fans, I think you'd probably hear the reverse. So I'm curious as to what you think um, and why you think maybe um, those kind of ratings don't really match the fans or at least most people I speak to uh, their point of view. Yeah. So when it comes to, to coverage situations and when it comes to like those coverage grades, a lot of times what they're predicated on is like, say it, it's a cumulative year over year thing. So if you have one bad game and I got to go back and look specifically the PFF, like Brandon Eccles numbers, like to see how they've gone. I mean, I know he struggled some early in the season. He was picked on some early in the season and, and it wasn't, a great start to the year for him. But again, it was a young kid drafted very late, forced into the starting lineup because there were really no one out, no other veterans or things like that and forced to play. And he, he got, he got dinged by some. And, and if he has a game where he's targeted four times, allows four catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns in the next two weeks, he holds, he holds guys catchless. Well, that, 80 yard two touchdown game is still going to be factored into, to his PFF grade. So it's kind of, it's, it's, you have to look at, the individual games and and for sometimes when it comes to cornerbacks, you do have to use your own eyes. I mean, I wouldn't say that when a, when a guy has a terrible coverage grade in PFF, when you look at a guy who has a number of times where okay, he's allowing you know ninety percent of the passes thrown his way to com be completed and six or seven touchdowns. That's like okay, well maybe that's that's something there to look into. But with Eccles, you can use your own eyes. You can flip on the film and watch him pretty much post injury since he's come back from that injury. The way that he has played and and the manner in which he has kind of solidified that other cornerback spot opposite Bryce Hall, this is not going to deter the Jets from going out and adding a veteran corner. They still want a guy who is a ball-hawking J.C. Jackson-type player. That's what they want to add to the secondary. They believe that they add him to the secondary, pair him with Bryce Hall. You got Mike Carter in the nickel role, and then you have Isaiah Dunn and Brandon Eccles as your next guys up when injuries inevitably happen. They think that's their ideal secondary, and then they obviously have to rework the safety position. So I wouldn't fret. I wouldn't go crazy over Brandon Eccles' PFF pro football focus coverage grade. I wouldn't get too worried about that. I think, honestly, with this one, 
Just use your eye test. I mean, you can watch Eccles his first five games, and you can watch Eccles his last two games, and you can say, okay, that's a different player. Like, that is a guy who's learned. That's a guy who the game is slowing down for. That's a guy guy who is getting better as the season goes on. And, and it's almost like, you know, we talked about Zach Wilson, right? Like, he got his little month-long break, and then he stepped back in, and he steps back in, and, and he plays – um, you know, is he going to be better? Kind of like Sam did in 2018. Well, Eccles is the same thing. He got a little break. He stepped back. He watched. Then he was reinserted into that starting lineup. And he's been significantly better since. In regards to Ashton Davis, real quick, I mean, I think he's a guy the Jets are not willing to give up on. I know he's the, uh, he's kind of been under the microscope for Jet fans for a while because when he was drafted, I even remember like getting the text message that he was picked and sitting there and being like a safety. Why'd they take a safety? They got Marcus May, and they're trying to extend Jamal Adams. And I was like, oh, I, I guess he's May's replacement, right? I mean, it was kind of like a weird pick. And especially for where he was selected, Jet fans were like, hey, we need a receiver. We need this. We need that. What the hell are we doing drafting another safety when we got Adams and May, right? So it was kind of one of those typical Jet things where it's like, okay, well, I don't get it. The Jets need to show me they're right and I'm wrong. And early on, it hasn't been that case. But I can tell you that the Jets still wholeheartedly believe in Ashton Davis. You know, with him, though, they view this guy as a player who was a developmental project when they drafted him. Because of COVID last year, he did not have OTA's mini camp training camp, right? Then when the Jets traded Jamal Adams, he was basically coming back, forced into lineup, but then he gets hurt, right? He suffers that foot injury. So this was supposed to be a huge year for Ashton, right? Because he was finally going to have a full off season to be able to develop and prepare and get ready to play in Robert Sala's defense. Well, that foot injury sidelines him, OTA's mini camp training camp. So he's a, a developmental project who really has not had any time to develop because going into the draft, he's preparing for draft stuff, not, not football stuff. I mean, you know, those guys are practicing 40 yard dashes and verticals. They're not preparing for football. Then his second year, he's injured. So we can't do any of that stuff anyway. So He's a player that that the Jets love his talent. They love his athleticism. He obviously is already kind of there where he's played pretty well in coverage to this point this year. That PFF coverage grade is probably going to be boosted because he's got the two interceptions and nearly had a third, so that's going to hike up the grade as well. But with Ashton, the big thing that he needs to get better on, and Salah has talked about this, and Jeff Ulbrich has been very critical of this, is his tackling. Like, he needs to improve his tackling. If he does not improve his tackling, the Jets are going to be looking for a replacement. I think they're going to have a veteran in here to push him anyway next year because the tackling has been a detriment to this defense at different points in time. But the Jets are not willing to give up on this guy. The Jets still like this guy. There's still so much athleticism where if they can just develop him, you've got the chance for a difference-making safety. He just needs the time to develop. But unfortunately, because of drafting COVID and then because of that injury, he just hasn't had that time. So I think this offseason... OTA's minicamp and training camp is going to be a really, really big one for Ashton Davis to hopefully, from a Jets perspective and his perspective, reach that potential they thought he had when he was uh, drafted where he was last year. All right, we're going to try to get a couple more questions in a little bit later. Um, back to the regularly scheduled show. Connor, we talked about Tom Brady coming back to MetLife Stadium. Uh, that's not the only one. Another old friend of the Jets, Todd Bowles, coming back to New York as well. Uh, the defensive coordinator for the Bucks. Um, and it's obviously a new challenge for Zach Wilson. Took some steps a week ago against a bad Jaguars team. Now he's facing a team that has a very good pass rush, a very good secondary, just an all-around championship caliber defense led by Todd Bowles, who you could say what you could say about what he did as head coach of the New York Jets. He's always been a very good defensive coordinator. So what kind of wrinkles is he going to throw at Zach Wilson? 
Well, he's yeah, he's I, you know, it's gonna be interesting because I'll be honest, I haven't watched too much Todd Bowles' defense aside from the Super Bowl when he put you know a, a remarkable game plan together to to slow arguably the greatest offense that I've seen, and that's because you know I was too little to really appreciate the greatest show on turf when it was Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Oz Hakeem, and and Tory Hold and, and Marshall Falk and all that. I mean, I wasn't old enough to like really appreciate what was happening, other than to know they were unbelievable in a cheat code Madden. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously been good offenses that have come and gone since, but I think the chiefs and what the chiefs had done the last couple of years, uh, up there with the Patriots and they went 18 one has probably been some of the best offensive football I've ever seen and, and watching it just be completely different and completely unique and, and just dominant and seemingly unstoppable. And Bulls went out there and designed a game plan to, to limit them and make Pat Mahomes look human, which up until this year was, was believed to be impossible to do. And you're going to get creative wrinkles. You're going to get guys, though, the the signature kind of to a Todd Bowles defense is he trusts his players, and he puts his players in a position to make them do well. And, you know, the one thing I want to talk about with Todd is, like, obviously, you know, look, he's going to – I would worry some about Zach Wilson probably against the Todd Bowles defense, but I would also be worried about the fact that you could have JPP and 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 uh, Vita Vey potentially and Namak and Sue bearing down on him and, and a good secondary and a good – I mean, it's just a – it's a loaded team. I mean, we're not talking about like the Jets playing the Jaguars anymore or the injury depleted Saints. I mean, this is a a Buccaneer team and defense that is not only the reigning Super Bowl champions, but a legitimate contender to win another ring this year. I mean, that's going to be a tough, tough, tough challenge for Zach Wilson, who could potentially be without his top three receivers again. The offensive line obviously is still coming together. It's not great. It's good, but it's not great. So it's going to be tough. But I think the one thing that I've heard a lot about, and I, his name's now obviously been linked to the Jaguar job, is like, is Todd going to get another head coaching gig, right? And I personally think he's deserving of one if Todd wants it. Now, there are some coaches out there who are just really, really, really good defensive coordinators and really, really, really good offensive coordinators, and they're just not head coach material. That's just not who they are. I don't know if that's Todd Bowles. It could be. I can tell you that from what I saw from him with the Jets, there was some lack of discipline, which was a problem that's going to need to be rectified if he gets another head coaching job. I mean, his leniency sometimes with players, Mo Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, where he, you know, he dropped the infamous comment about those two routinely showing up late to meetings to the point where they were benched for like the first quarter or first half against the Miami Dolphins. And in the offseason at the owner's meeting says, quote, sometimes you're late for work. Like, that's not good, right? And I think that for Todd, too, sometimes he was loyal to a fault with some of his players and, and some of his coaching staff. You know, what, what he failed to do throughout his tenure with the Jets, and I think his tenure with the Jets would have been significantly different if these two things happened, is that one, one was out of his control, and that was Mike McCagnin effed this roster 10 ways to hell. I mean, like, there, there's, only, there's no, I mean, Bill Belichick, uh, Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan, I mean, name the head coach. They were not going to have success with what Todd Bowles was given outside of the 2015 season when he was a, a game away from being coach of the year and won 10 games. Outside of that season, he had slop into that. And when they brought, they tried to run it all back in 16. Outside of that, he had slop in 2017, and he had slop in 2018, and he had slop in 2009 or 2018, and then obviously Adam Gase took over in 2019. So 
I mean, there was nothing he could do, but where Todd Bowles failed, and again, he had nothing to do with the talent acquisition. That was Mike McCagnon's job. You know, that was the whole thing was Mike McCagnon builds the 53 or builds the rosters or, and then Todd Bowles takes it from there and, and constructs who's going to be on the 53 man roster. But he couldn't control that. What he could control were the people that he hired on his offensive staff or defensive staff because Casey Rogers was not a very good defensive coordinator. And I think there were a number of times where Todd Bowles should have stepped in and taken over his play calling, and he didn't. He kept letting Casey do it, kept letting Casey do it, kept letting Casey do it, when in all seriousness, Todd should have taken over. He needed to have more of a CEO-type role. I mean, he spent 99.9% of his time with the defense. He was never on the offensive side of the ball. Not like Robert Sala, where Robert Sala, even though he's a defensive-minded guy, he's with offense, he's with defense. But more than anything else, and where I think Todd kind of uh, uh, built his grave or dug his grave, I should say, with with the Jets was that he failed horrifically in finding an offensive coordinator. You know, I mean, they they had it a little bit with Chan Gailey in 2015. Chan left after the 2016 season. Ever since then, whether it was John Morton or whether it was Jeremy Bates, who was forced in there probably by Heimerdinger, not so much Todd Bowles, but Todd Bowles let it happen. That was the Jets' problem. You know what I mean? I think they could have made do with 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 uh, with Bowles as their head coach, but he needed that offensive coordinator, and he never was able to hire him because Chan Gailey was just a flash in the pan in 15, and then Johnny Moe was bad and uh, okay, I guess, but he wasn't good, and then Jeremy Bates was a complete disaster. That was Todd's biggest issue. So, I mean, he wasn't – he was a good guy. I still love talking to him. I still love seeing him at the Combine. I hope he gets another opportunity. And if you learn from those Jets' past mistakes, I think he can be successful. But it's really going to come down to, like I said, having a general manager that's going to set the roster up where he has the players to have success. And then aside from having that roster set up and that roster success there, you're also going to want um, to, have to build out a staff that that he can work with. Because you, know, you look at Robert Sala when he's done with the Jets. I, I know some fans don't believe this, but I think Jeff Ulbrich's going to be a pretty good defensive coordinator. I think we've all seen that Mike LaFleur is a good offensive coordinator. With Todd, he never did those two things, and I think it reflected on him, and it was a reflection of him, and that's where he needs to get a little bit better. It's got to be discipline. It's got to be better players to work with, and it's got to he's got to be better at rounding out his staff. All right, we got picks coming up as well in a little bit, um, but Marissa, let's get some more questions. Okay, so we have Doc Ad in the chat who um, is a loyal listener because I know that I see his name all the time, so I'm going to add him to the stream. Right now. There we go. What's up, dude? How are you? Hey, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, Connor, I just want you to know, when I'm having a bad day at work, <laughs> I fire up an old podcast, and I listen to your rants. And your rants, like, maybe that's, like, part of the sickness of being a Jets fan, but it, like, makes me happy. I hear you, man. Just, that's great. Yeah. I appreciate that. So, I appreciate so that. So thank you for that. Um, uh, happy New Year to all of you. We have, uh, you know, 2022 coming, which hopefully is going to be better for all of us in many ways. Uh, I would, my friend. <laughs> so my, my question for you guys is, uh, what should Joe Douglas's New Year's resolutions be to finally make me feel proud of being a Jets fan, maybe? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, man. Is like, Excellent question. Yeah. He read honestly, the rundown. Yeah, a great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, I think it's honestly got to be just continue to tough right because like it's it's this is such like a cop-out answer and it's such like i feel like this is such a cop-out answer but it really comes down to you need to get better players like you need to continue to get better players you need to continue to infuse this roster with talent because i genuinely do believe that the jets have the right coaching staff in place and i've been back and you know i was back and forth on todd jeremy bates like when he took over as offensive coordinator it was kind of like well 
they think he's good, so maybe he is. And then it didn't end up being a disaster. And then the Adam Gase thing was like, I remember when they hired Gase, it was like, well, that's not the direction I would have gone, but maybe the Jets know something we don't. And obviously that was completely wrong, and the Jets did not know something that we all didn't, as that was the case. So with this, it's like I, I genuinely do believe that the coaching staff's in place. I, I, I believe in Robert Sala. I believe in Ulbrich. I think you saw the first month of the season what he can do when he has talent, when he's got guys on his defense. And even then, it was an underwhelming, under-talented group, but he still had them playing some competitive football. And then with Mike LaFleur, you've really started to see his brilliance come out over the last month or so. And if Zach Wilson develops and, and takes that next step, I think you're really going to see LaFleur reach a level where it's going to be Jet fans crossing their fingers, hoping they can keep him for another year after that. Like, that's that's where I think Michael LaFleur is headed. I think this guy is a future head coach. The thing that's holding the Jets back is talent right now, and the thing that's holding the Jets back right now are players. And I think that Douglas's New Year's resolution, I don't know if it's like, oh, I want to do this better, per se, or we should do this, but he has to hit a home run in this draft. He has to go into free agency and be aggressive. He has to go into free agency and not be so tied to the wild and the second tier free agents. I mean, if there's a player there that he wants and he's got to pay $5 million more to go get that player that he wants and he thinks that player is going to make a legitimate difference on Sundays, go out and sign him. Who gives a shit? It's not your money. It's good. Like, pay the guy and get him in. I'm not saying throw a Tremaine Johnson deal out there. I'm not saying throw a Le'Veon Bell deal out there. But if it's a player that checks the play box, and if it's a player that checks the personality box and you think he's going to make you better, go out there and get him. And when it comes to the draft, you've got to hit a home run. You can't whiff. You can't miss. No more James Morgans. No more P. Ryans. No more draft picks like that. You need to find the players. You need to be aggressive to get them, and you can do that. Because if you do that, if they have a successful free agency, right? If they go out there and they get, say, two or three true difference makers, and then they go out there in the draft, and they have another draft that... I think this 2021 class is going to be ridiculous. Zach Wilson is obviously the one that's the X factor in all this. But I think everyone, like, you can take the quarterback and say, how is he going to develop? No one ever knows how a quarterback is going to develop. But everyone after there, I think those guys are, you got a lot of chunk of good players in this draft. When Eccles is in there, now Pinnock looks like he might be a safety. Moore, Carter, Vera Tucker, all of those guys. Like, they're legitimate players. If he can replicate that or even do something similar to that, not even as good, but just something similar to that, this is going to be a Jets team that next year that is going to compete, assuming they stay healthy, is going to compete week in and week out. And there's a chance they get to eight, nine wins next year. I mean, we've seen that jump. I mean, I think if the Jets stayed healthy this year and Zach Wilson was a little bit better, they could have won seven or like seven or eight games this year. They just got ravaged by injuries. Zach Wilson was a little bit delayed for whatever reason. But if he takes that next step and you get another free agent class and you get the draft, I mean, there's no reason to believe that the Jets can go from, and I've said this before, like you wear your Jet jersey out, you're wearing the Ranger jersey, like you can wear that proudly. Like we're Islanders, whoa, 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 I can't whoa, whoa, tell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Islanders, there yeah, we go. I, I saw, saw the blue. Islanders. I couldn't make I it out. I, I saw the blue. I was like, is that Rangers? <laughs> you can wear the Islanders jersey proud, right? Like you can wear different jerseys of different teams proudly. You can't do that with the Jets right now. You just can't. But if they go out there and they build a competitive team and Zach Wilson takes the next step and, and they're competing in games and they're winning 7-8-9, you can suddenly wear your jersey out in public and be like, yeah, I'm proud to be a Jet fan. And I think that's that's what they're trying to get to. And suddenly MetLife will be packed again. and You'll have fans screaming. It won't just be a cheap ticket for the road opponent, but you'll actually have green and white people in there. And, and I think that's – I don't know if that's a resolution. I know that's so simple when it just says, like, get better players. But I genuinely believe that is the thing for the Jets is they just need to get better players out there. I mean, I really think that's what it is. And and lucky for Douglas, he's got a ton of money and he's got a ton of picks to make that happen. Awesome question. Thanks, Doc. We'll uh, keep seeing you. your comments in the chat. So our next uh, 
caller viewer i don't know how to call that on youtube he is also repping uh his jersey and he's got a sam arnold's yeah, there we always go. proud. There we go. He's wearing a Sam Darnold shirt. So uh it's not DJ Montgomery. I've, Wasn't I've he had, 14 in camp? I have real bad <laughs> luck with jerseys. <laughs> real bad luck with jerseys. Every time I buy one, the player ends up staying. <laughs> that's hey, that's a, that's, a, that's, that's dedication, theory. my They're friend. That's dedication. <laughs> um, so my question so my yeah. question was about Pinnock, but morally yeah. for all the young defensive backs. Like Pinnock played really well on Sunday, a lot really good on the run game. So do do we think that was him being good or just them really playing the Jaguars? And that goes for all their young yeah. defensive backs like Hall and Michael Carter, Davis. How many of them do we think are actually sticking on this roster or how many are just on the team because no one else? Well, we're not yeah. that good. No, Hall I think's a player. I think I think Bryce Hall is a player. Now I don't think he's Patrick Sherman. I don't think or um I don't think he's elite level no doubt Darrell Revis like number one shutdown corner I don't see that I think I see him as a legitimate number two to potentially really really good number two to where if you pair him with a one you're taking those two corners and you're saying the Jets have one of the best defensive backs tandems in the NFL like I think it can be like a Darrell Revis Antonio Cromartie you've got the potentially Antonio Cromartie maybe I mean Bryce Hall hasn't shown he can be the ball hawk like Cromartie was, where he had like the 10-something picks with the Chargers back in the day. But at least you've got um, – you have the the one piece. Now you just need to go find Batman, right? You got Robin. You got to go find Batman. I think Bryce Hall was a hell of a pick. I mean, he's a guy the Jets obviously – his, his injury in college uh, plummeted him down on on draft boards. The Jets were able to get him late. They give a credit to their their coaching staff, right? I mean, how many times have we talked about players the Jets draft that don't develop or aren't developed? This coaching staff developed him, and they've gotten him to a point where he is an ascending, really, really good player. I think Eccles, Isaiah Dunn, I think those are two guys that, that have proven they can play in the NFL. I don't necessarily think they can be relied upon as week-in and week-out starters, per se, but I think they're guys that if they have to play – you're not worried about them. Great depth pieces, great guys to continue to develop, and you never know. Maybe if Hall goes down and Eccles gets a shot next year, you can start him. When it comes to Pinnock, he had a hell of a game last week. I mean, the hit that he put on, uh, I think it was Marvin Jones, was it? Like right by the corner route on the, where actually the Jaguars were driving at the end. I mean, that's a big-time play. And I we talked to him on, I think it was Monday or Wednesday. We uh, one Monday we talked to him. And he said, he goes, one of the things that he loves about playing safety is that he can hit people. Because when you're a corner, it's kind of like, no, you have to shy away from contact. When it's a safety, go out and smack the mother effort. Like, go like, go out there and get him. And, and that's what Pinnock loves. And one thing that he's told us as well is that he can't wait for this offseason because the Jets have said, like, okay, you're a safety now. Well, when he was in college, he was corner safety. He was everything. When he was preparing for the draft, he was preparing for the teams that wanted to play corner, teams that wanted to play safety. Now that he's with the Jets and the Jets are like, okay, you're a safety, he can prepare this entire offseason to be a safety and come out there. And, and maybe he is a player. I mean, who would have thought last year, I didn't think Bryce Hall was going to be a stud. It was kind of like, okay, the Jets found a player that now they're starting because of injuries. He developed, he took a step this year, and now he's seizing his opportunities turned into a guy. Maybe Pinnock is a player that a corner in college, drafted to be a safety in the NFL, has a full offseason, then maybe he is a player and he steps up and he can serve as one of those roles. I don't think we know yet. There's no way we're going to know after a game. But, again, you're talking about a guy that was drafted so late. These are really lottery tickets. Like, that's how general managers and stuff reach him. And and I can tell you that him going out there and getting his first opportunity, whether it was the Jaguars, Bucks, Patriots, or anyone else, 
He made the most of his opportunity, and he didn't look like a fish out of water. He made plays and looked like he belonged. And we're having this discussion now of, is Pinnock a player? And that's a hell of a lot better than being like, oh, my God, go sign someone else off the street and throw him out there, right? So I think that when it comes to the secondary, you you know you have something in Bryce Hall. I think that's that's been confirmed this year, is that you know that this is a guy who can knock wood, stay healthy. This is a guy you know can can play some pretty good coverage. He's got to figure out how to catch a pass. I mean, he's got to come away with some interceptions, but you know you at least have Bryce Hall. Now the rest of the guys are, there's potential there. And when you'll take potential, because when you have potential, then it's on the coaching staff to get it out of them. And and again, I've I've said this before, but you can go back to this. This is the first time in a long time where you can genuinely say like, this is a team that has a coaching staff that is actually going to get players and make them better, right? Because I don't know the last Jet yeah. t- Jet player that they had, aside from maybe Robbie Anderson, that by the time he left his Jets tenure, he was a better player. And I think Robbie just got more opportunities. Like when he went to Carolina, he became a better player last year. I didn't think he really got better. He just got more opportunities. You're starting to see players get their opportunities with this coaching staff. And as the season gets on, they develop them, build them, and make them better. And, and you want to hang your hat on something as a Jeff. I know it's not wins and losses, and it's not sexy like, you know, Zach throwing for 504 TDs, but that's something you can hang your hat on. And at least, like I said, it's a good conversation, the fact we're having this right now, that maybe these guys can be players, and maybe these guys can be different. I think that's kind of cool. Good stuff, Joe. Thank All right. you. And I love Thanks, your Derek Jeter uh, fathead in the back. Shout out. <laughs> All right. Our next question, this one pains me because, you know, the Terp in me, which shout out to Maryland. I think it actually pains pains yes, all three of us. Yes. Uh, shout out to Maryland destroying Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl. My two favorite things, Yankees and Maryland. But this next question comes from Nittany Lion. Uh-oh. Yes. Nittany Lion? Am I as a Penn State <laughs> fan? It's going to just rag on me right now. That was close. Uh how you guys doing? First time, hey, up, long man? time. Uh, I just wanted to call uh, to ask a question for Connor. Connor, I've been following your career since you started covering the Jets. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, I'm a long time athletic subscriber, so uh, and that's partially due to you. Oh, awesome! Um, Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So my question is about the fans and the beat writers. Um, yeah. I've seen you kind of go from being like the hero of the Jets beat <laughs> to being the villain over uh, the last course of a couple years. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, how do you think fans um, and the way that they interact with the beat writers have changed since you started writing? And how do you think their expectations have changed of beat writers since you started? I'll be honest with you, man. I think that the interaction with them is like, you're a Jet fan, right? So you're you're a diehard Jet fan. You don't want to read about your team being bad, right? That's the thing is that you don't you want like at the end of the day, sports are an escape. It's a mental and emotional escape for people, and it's it's your way to turn out. Like when you're dealing with shit personally, or you're dealing with stuff privately, and you're dealing with shit in your life, sports is a way to like turn all of that shit off and just watch entertainment and be entertained. And unfortunately, if you're a Jet fan there has not been any positive entertainment for the last 11 years with the exception of 2015. So I should probably take that one year out. Cause that was a fun run. Aside from that, it has just been 11 straight years of this team, not making the playoffs. It has been so many years of double digit losses since what it was like, was it 16, 17, 18, 20? We're all double digit losses. This team has now become a punchline that has been made fun of in sitcoms where like I'm sitting down and watching Ted Lasso with my wife 
and there's a New York Jets joke about the team struggling. I mean, that's that's where fans and diehard bleed green Jet fans that f- turn in and focus in on this team for an escape, and instead they're just getting clocked in the left of the face, right? And they're following us. They're following beat writers. And, and I think what is different about New York than other markets is that none of us are Jet fans. Like, we're from all over the place. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm from South Jersey. Andy is from Detroit. Like, there are people like Joey Chandler just came from over here. DJ's from Miami. Like, there are people from all over the place that are coming here to New York because you want to work in New York. So it's our job not to root for the Jets. It's not our job to cheer for the Jets. It's our job to see what's happening with the Jets, write about it, and report it. And when it's a team that has not been around or has not been to the playoffs in 11 years and has dealt with so much ineptitude over the last decade, that's the kind of stories that are going to come out because we're writing on what we see. And your fans that are already beat everyone's beat up in their personal lives and then you go for your entertainment value and you're beat up from your entertainment value and then you follow beat writers and stuff like that who are then rehashing and reporting on the negative and it leads to especially as your following grows really really angry people saying really 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 angry things in your mentions and I think it's not a result necessarily of a and I genuinely believe this I don't think it's a result of a beat writer fan relationship I think it's fans that are very very upset about the state of their team that are annoyed at then being rehashed the negativity and the badness of the team and the feelings of all of if the jets go out next year and they win nine or 10 games and they are the feel good story there's not a soul that's going to be writing negative stories about the jets on the beat because there's going to be positive content positivity sells and we're going to be writing positively if zach wilson goes out next year and there's for you know, 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. No one's going to be writing about Zach Wilson struggling. It's only to be about, holy cow, do you see the Jets have a franchise quarterback? And when we're writing positive and fans are feeling positive, then suddenly the relationship is positive. You know what I mean? So, unfortunately, it's the ebbs and flows and the roller coaster ride of a relationship when you cover the team with the, with the, or you're, you're covering a team and you are, covering a team that's bad and the fans want success and the fans that it's just you get to this lull and I'll be honest like I never thought it would be more negative or more um vile as it was during the one and seven start with Adam Gase and then the two and 14 start last year with Adam Gase but I think the fact that you followed those two years of like oh my god this has been so bad we're such an embarrassment to now this next year being in some extent or to some capacity still not very good and you haven't seen the great play from the rookie quarterback. You know, you've had to look at quarters or series or moments and not had that great game and there's nothing really to totally hang your hat on and there's still more negative than positive news. I think it's just built on top of it and it's fans that have just had enough and they want to direct their hate at somebody and I'll be honest, like I don't read the mentions of other players and stuff like that. But I have to imagine it's probably pretty vile towards players and all, too. And I'm sure Woody Johnson's mentions are pretty vile on game days as well and stuff like that. So it's just another extension of the team where you're getting ripped. But as soon as the Jets start winning games, as soon as things start turning positive, as soon as you're writing good stories, not, oh, my God, the Jets lost again story, I think the relationship changes, the field changes, and it'll all be all will be happy-go-lucky. And that's why, honestly, man, like people say, like, you're not a Jets fan. I, right, I'm not a Jets fan. But I want the Jets to be good. I want the Jets to win. I want to cover Super Bowls because it's better for me. It's better for fan interaction. It's better for readership. It's better for listenership. It's all better for if the Jets are good. Everyone's life gets easier and everyone's life gets better. So um, 
Um, uh, I, I think that's more it. And it's, again, it's just part of the job. I just had to stop getting into the, the mental rut of reading some of the shit that was sent my way. I mean, we actually, we were talking about it in the press box because Rich or in the media room before we all, you know, COVID sent everything virtual and Rich was going through his mentions. And I'll be honest, it was kind of like a therapy session because I was listening to what people were sending him. I was like, man, that is, that makes what people are sending me look like, you know, thank you cards. (laughs) (laughs) They were, they were vicious towards Rich. People have been pretty vicious towards Rich for a long time too. I feel like so. Yeah, they have, man. He's best. He is one of the best. And I don't think like I that annoys me so much. Like when people get on Rich, because when I tell you guys, like he is the most diligent, hardworking, badass reporter out there. Like the guy is just on. Unre- he's been doing it as long as I've been alive. And does it so well, and the things he thinks about, and the things that he calls on, and the things he just pulls out of his memory bank. I mean, he can rehash stuff that happened, like, literally before I was born with the Jets. It's amazing. And I I don't think – I understand, like, he's cynical sometimes, and I understand that he is um, uh, uh, sarcastic sometimes, and he throws some some shots out there that undoubtedly will turn Jet fans the wrong way. But – I also think that there's you got to appreciate him too because the work that he does and the written work and the work that he puts out is it's second to none, man. There's no one. I honestly, I I don't think there's anyone like him on the Giants beat. I don't think there's anyone like him on any other beat out there. I mean, the guy is a is is a is a beast, really, at what he does. Awesome right, well, question. Thank you, no, thanks for thanks, thanks for coming, Appreciate it. Yeah. You won't get a we are out of me though. Yeah, no, absolutely no, not. No. Sorry. <laughs> no, none of us. More, no. more like a fear of the turtle. Um, all right. Those were awesome. Shout out to all of those listeners that joined. Those were good. Yeah. I was very nervous that this was not going to go over I, as well. And they were all fantastic. So thank you all for joining. Perfect. And we will definitely be doing this again. Cool. Yeah, we'll tweet it out there. Whenever we have one, we'll take them. Yeah, we won't do it every episode necessarily. But we may have an episode where we just do that too. That'd be so, fun. Yes. Um, especially yeah, in the offseason. Awesome. Awesome. I would imagine there'll be, there'll be time for that. Um, all right. Before we say goodbye, we get to do picks really quick. Um, I don't know if you guys made them or not. This is the, the yeah. late call out for picks. Uh, Marissa, you continue to lead the way 23 and 16. What do you got? Okay. So, um, yeah, we forgot to make picks last week because it was Christmas. Um, but so I am going to pick a little with my heart today, but also because I think these are good picks. So the Browns need the Bengals and the Ravens to lose. <laughs> so that is picking with my heart. But I do really like these lines. Chiefs minus five versus the Bengals and Rams minus four and a half versus the Ravens. Lamar Jackson hasn't really practiced. The Ravens are, their secondary is totally beat up. So I'm going to go Rams minus four and a half versus the Ravens. Chiefs minus five versus the Bengals. And then Jets fans aren't going to like this one, but Patriots, I mean, 15 and a half. I know it's a big spread versus the Jaguars, but I just can't see them. I just think that's going to be a blowout. So big spread Patriots minus 15 and a half at Jacksonville. Patriots Ten. haven't been playing well lately, but, um, but yeah, yeah, but they, they, they like, I just think this is going to Belichick's going to totally game plan this one up and make them, the Jaguars look even sillier. So Connor, are you good? Or do you want me to jump? Yeah, in? I'm good. No, I'm good okay, now. Go ahead. Uh, so my first pick, I'm going to go with the Washington football team versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I know they were absolutely embarrassed against the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I've never seen a team lose in the fashion that they did. I mean, like, what was it? It was like 42 to nothing at halftime or something like that. I mean, there was 
a final game's worth of statistics dropped on Washington by halftime. I mean, players were swinging at each other on the sideline, but I do believe in in Ron Rivera. I think he's a great coach, and I think he's somebody that can that can rally the troops. And you know, the Eagles are flying pretty high right now. I don't think the Eagles beat Washington a couple weeks ago if it wasn't for the fact that Washington did not have a quarterback. So I like the football team plus four uh, at home against the Eagles. I think at worst case, I mean, that's going to be a hard-fought NFC East battle that could come down to a field goal game or something like that. So I don't know if Washington wins outright, but I do like them giving four because you're protected by a field goal. Uh, other game I like a lot is Miami plus three and a half uh, versus the Tennessee Titans. I'll do this one for DJ and, and his, you know, fins up kind of thing. But uh, I think Miami's just rolling right now. And I don't think the Titans are nearly as good as what anyone thought they were. I think that Ryan Tannehill has been exposed since Derrick Henry went down. So uh, I like the Dolphins in that defense. I know they're on the road and, and you know, it's, it's not always easy going on the road when you're, when you're uh, going into Tennessee and whatnot, but uh, I like Miami plus three and a half as well against the Titans. And the last one I'm going to take is uh, a favorite, my only favorite of the week, which is Chicago versus the Giants at home minus five and a half. Uh, I think that's just going to be a blowout. The Giants are such a disaster. Mike Lennon, I think, is starting again. Doesn't really matter. That offense can't get out of its own way. Um, I think the the Bears are just going to go nuts and, and have a big, big game there against the Giants. So uh, I'll go Washington football team plus four, Miami plus three and a half, and then my one favorite is Chicago minus five and a half. All right, I think Marissa's actually clinched unless we take this thing into the playoffs, which we Woo! can to, to add the interest interest that back level. back-to-back? Because didn't you win last year? No. No, I won last year. You won last year. But it went oh, down so we're all even then. Yeah. went down to a tiebreaker in the Super Bowl Yeah, last year. But yeah, we would be all even. That'd be pretty cool. Um, all right, my picks real year, quick. Marissa won second in the year. Cool. Um, I agree with Marissa on the Rams. I'll take them minus four and a half at Baltimore. Uh, Lamar Jackson may not play in that game too, so – uh, Packers minus seven versus Minnesota Packers barely beat the Ravens. Unfortunately, barely beat the Browns, but it feels like they're due for a, a breakout big game at Lambeau. And then finally Colts minus seven, uh, versus the Raiders. That'll do it for us. Thanks to everyone for watching. Thanks for joining the show too. That was a lot of fun. Um, the athletic.com slash can't wait is the spot to go for $24 for an annual subscription to The Athletic. Hope everyone has a safe and happy New Year's. We'll talk to everybody next week.